Welcome to Planner Parlay, a show where we come together under a flag of truce to talk about small agency planning. Well, another season is in the books, and what a year it was. From Stratfest 2020 to the view from the client side, from the relationship of tech and ideas to understanding big T strategists, from ingesting lemon, how the advertising brain turns sour, to unpacking content as strategy, and of course, learning how to be comfortable with being uncomfortable talking about agency diversity, all while living in the new strange. Join Truth Collective's Director of Experience, Josh Kuhn, and CSO John Roberts as they look back over a packed season two and what strategy really means for small agencies. Pull up a chair and listen in. So, John, here we are, the end of season two, your second full season of podcasting, and, and in a, the year of 2020, which what a, what a year it's been, right? Everything that could possibly happen other than a giant asteroid striking the Earth has happened. So... You had a lot of great guests on, and I think a lot of the themes that came up through some of the shows kind of relate to this really strange and singular year we've lived through. And the first episode that really kind of kicked it off was a recap of Stratfest, which normally is a a shindig in New York where everybody's together. But this year, it was all virtual. Tell us a little bit about uh, the virtual Stratfest. Sure. So we're going to start with a recap of a recap. Stratfest ended up being a virtual one long afternoon only and I must say it was actually a refreshingly different uh, experience. I know talking both from uh, my own colleagues and then when we discussed with Sarah and Steve on the pod itself and later on feedback, uh, everyone approached it in a really enthusiastic manner. There's always some benefits to, of course, to the virtual. Obviously some downside as well. We all missed the participation. I missed having beers in Brooklyn on a wet evening but uh, it worked it worked well overall it meant that everybody could choose some of the uh, uh, workshops they wanted to participate in uh, got a little bit of that uh, that fizz and that juice that we love from Stratfest and a little bit of focus which was interesting when we actually started to dig into a little bit about uh, what were some key outputs from Stratfest and how it applied to us so John there was a lot of great speakers a lot of great content um, were there any key themes that really stood out to you? Any sections that you think our audience would really be interested to hear about? It's a great question, Josh. And it's interesting because there were so many different uh, benefits people pulled from different workshops and so on and, and the speakers. But there was an overarching theme, which was one of focus, which is really interesting because I know certainly from we've all talked about that, about how do we have, um, how do we find, how do we maintain, how do we actually enjoy that measure of focus in the last year we just had where everything's been so different. I think Steve actually talked about it well. Listen to what he said here. As has been the theme for me personally this year, um, actually being able to give my full attention was really hard and actually being present and um, absorbing it in the way that I think I normally would have last year was difficult for me. When, when you're at a in-person conference, your attention is defaulted to the person on the stage. I think the burden of a speaker in a virtual event, it, it, like, it, it is so much harder to keep an audience engaged when they're watching on their computer or, or their phone at home. You know, It yeah. goes back to the whole focus thing. But the panel, I feel like the panel as a format has become even more valuable in my mind because it, you know it's unscripted. 
It's a dynamic conversation and discussion. And, and honestly, the more tension that is in the conversation, the more disagreement that's happening, the more I'm instinctively tuning in. Uh, and that's a tension that I think is really hard to manufacture in a talk, in a virtual event. But I think it's made me fall in love with the panel format even more if you have the right mix of people and the right topic. But all things considered, uh, I did really enjoy it. And then Sarah, our other guest, echoed a lot of what Steve was saying. Uh, I like what she's talked about here. Yeah, absolutely. And I think to Steve's point, you know, along with that focus comes the stripping down, right, of rethinking everything in the way that we've done it, trying to, you know, get down to what I call a minimum viable product. Was there any panel, John, that really stood out, something that rose to the top that you've been thinking about since? Josh, everyone has their favorites, right? What works particularly and what motivates them uh, more than others. Um, so there was lots of great stuff at Stratfest. But it's interesting, there was a resounding, uh, resounding message back from everyone I spoke to in our pod as well as broader generally uh, on the topic. Uh, it was actually a, a live uh, panel talking about overcoming bias in the brief. And it's been so important to us always, but particularly 2020 is not just a year of woke, but slapped around the face in terms of really understanding as planners and strategists, it's our responsibility to find ways to overcome bias in the brief. And that came through, honestly, in some of the other topics during the course of season two, we hit that time and time again, uh, all the way through to our last uh, pod, which I know we'll come on to later, thinking about the role that planners play in addressing diversity in our workplace. But also had some um, elements when I think about the nature of being open, learning and really starting to challenge the status quo. That was a massive theme for our, our fantastic episode two. Before we jump into episode two, Stratfest going virtual was a trend that we saw all year long, right? Major events, everything from conventions to, to uh, events like Stratfest were, were canceled or had to go virtual. Um, what do you think? Do you think the virtual event is here to stay or when we can all, we're all vaccinated and back out in the world, it's a, it's a memory. In the near future, virtual's here to stay. In the longer term, virtual's here to stay. And I think what we'll do, we, the, the attendees and the organizers will really start to think hard about what's the benefit of the physical experience. The cost, the time, the effort to travel to New York is just not going to happen next year. But there's going to, there is an interesting way to think about what do we benefit from as planners, but also as human beings by being together. We are social animals. So how do we use that in the future? But virtual for now. Now can we talk about episode two? We sure can. So episode two, you had a couple of powerhouse guests, Rashad and Kathy, to talk about the new strange. Not normal, which is a phrase we've heard a bajillion times over the last year. So so tell our audience a little bit about that. What what were the topics that rose up? What did you guys discuss? The great news about Richard for any pod uh, host out there is invite him on, say hello, and then spend the next hour having mind blown by all the different thoughts that he wants to share with you, which is amazing. And of course, Kathy, and they happen to be old friends, Kathy is the editor of Walk, meant that there was a fantastic balance of, of Rishad's inspiration of future focus and Kathy's ability to tie it back into a lot of the work that Walk do about providing data to affirm beliefs or to see what's going on. One of the things that really struck me from the, the session overall 
And it actually does come back to what we were just talking about with overcoming bias in the brief, which is the, the fragility of humanity. And Richard spoke so well about this in terms of the fragility of humanity in terms of society and all of the unlearning we've had to do. The new strange, we, we uh, titled that episode, not the new normal, because everything's going to be very different and will remain different. But also the impact it has to us, us in terms of our agency world, but also us as strategists. Our role is to understand human condition and find a way to provide empathy, but also role and relevancy for brands to be purposeful. So in a new world, we have to actually understand what some of the fragility is and find ways to make sure our brands are relevant and true. Listen to how Rishad explained it here. The biggest human need that right now is happening is that human society and business is fragile, right? And they're fragile because they're anxious, they're uncertain, and they're fearful. They're anxious about their health, fearful about their jobs, their future. They're uncertain about what this world will look like. And when that happens, what do people look for? They look for safety. They look for security. They look for, you know, put positive signs of what you're doing with regard to society. And if fundamentally brands and marketers and planners don't start with that human truth that we're coming out of in this particular world, then almost everything else doesn't resonate. And Josh, as you remember, there are so many different topics we explored, Rishad and Kathy. But there's one I wanted to pick up that Kathy actually hit on a great notion of actions, not ads. Actions, not ads is a really simple but powerful way for us to think about the role that brands are playing, not just in 2020 with reaction to society and all this uh, cataclysmic change we were going through, but the future. How do we as brands and how do we as communicators for those brands really start to deliver authentic action more than ads? Here's how Kathy set it up and explained. Well, there's a, a popular phrase, actions, not ads. And I'm not at all sure that the industry lives up to that. Mm -hmm. There are individual marketers that do, but I think people kind of realize these things now. And especially when it comes to Black Lives Matter, it gets even deeper because the thing I think people are waking up to is that this is so far beyond certainly advertising and purpose. It really is everything to do with how you manage your business. So if you're Nike, you can, you can certainly come out with a very powerful advertising around Colin Kaepernick, but how well are you living up to everything behind that? And I'm seeing a quite a bit of research that says consumers are going to begin to uh, vote with their wallets when it comes to all this. Whether that will map out, I don't know. But 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 that's a lot of the type of thing that, that we're noticing. Yeah, and I, th I think the point that Kathy made, what you guys discussed, we're seeing that play out in a way that's really almost unprecedented a little bit. I mean, we're recording this episode almost a week after the uh, insurrection at the Capitol. And since then... We've seen brands and advertisers and all kinds of people stepping up in ways to really drive consequences for actions that we haven't seen in a long time. And, and consumers, I think, are going to look for that more and more. They want to see that brands are supporting people that they can believe in and causes they can believe in. So it's, it's a really great point that I think is probably going to be playing out in real time right before our eyes in a way we've never seen before. It's so true, Josh, and well said. Do you have any other any other point, any point of inspiration or, or anything that you took away from the episode? 
I love the way that Richard, we got into a great conversation about how fundamentally we need to understand our clients' world, CMOs, their world is changing, This the new strange. And in fact, Richard talked about three very simple but critical challenges that all CMOs face. For sake of brevity now, listen to the podcast. But why don't we just end on what he saw as the third challenge. Here it is. I would basically say number one is to understand what customers or consumers are likely to stop or start doing or do more of or do less of. So to combine all kinds of research analysis insights on that, which is getting a picture of what, very simply, what would, would they expect more or less? Stop and start. That's number one. With that being said, number two is to look at the fragility of your business, your brand. So what are some of your own? So it's like an earthquake is it your business. So what are the fault lines that have been revealed? On the other hand, certain things have been very resilient. There may be new opportunities have been opened as well as new threats. So it's like a SWAT, but a SWAT built around this event, if that makes sense. And study that. So that's like looking inside. And then to work together with your teams to brainstorm what you would do to either meet those customer or consumer needs, which is which you've now decided are important, uh, or second is having finished the first two, just put together an approach that can destroy your own brand or service. So what would you create that could destroy your product, your brand or service? And do that with only three constraints in mind, which is it has to be legal, it has to use today's technology, and it has to break even in three years. And as a result, what people will come up with are amazing marketing and business ideas. And for anybody out there who who hasn't already been sold, definitely check out Rashad's book. It's called Restoring the Soul of Business. And if you want to hear a longer talk with Rashad, I, I might I humbly recommend the Higher Order podcast, where we have a really great in-depth interview with Rashad about his book, available where all finer podcasts can be found. Subscribe today. You are my guest on, C- on episode three. You and uh, the great uh, Sean Pitts from Hanson Dodge in Milwaukee. And I'm pausing, not just because he's the great Sean Pitts, but also because I was thinking about a lot of the discussions you had around the role of strategy today and how that's melding with the creative role in content. So talk a little bit more to me, Josh. What was your takeaway from that discussion? I mean, it was it was great to, to be able to talk with Sean and, and hear his point of view. And I mean, really, the whole episode, it was just I really, really enjoyed the, the conversation and being able to dig in with another content strategist and talk about the way that the communication is changing with our audience and uh, kind of the world of content versus the world of ads. And so it's a lot of it's about how we approach problems, how we approach the way we're going to tell stories and what channels are relevant to the people that we're trying to tell the story to and how deep those stories and interactions can get. Sean had a couple of really great insights. And I think one that um, would be perfect for the audience to hear would be, you know, when you look at it from a framework where you don't have those barriers, when you approach the problem, um, you know, or, or figure out what the creative purpose is without that that boundary in place, you may find that there's another creative outlet or another content strategy that might work better than trying to produce the typical TV ad, the, the radio spot and the digital banners. Right. 
you might find that creating a podcast or, or a film or, you know, some type of music playlist or whatever it might be. I've seen brands do all different types of things that that kind of shift the narrative. Right. And, and inserts the, you know, inserts the brand in this piece of culture. One of the other things that we talked about, um, it's kind of the changing roles of like how inside the agency, right? Like the creative team and working with content team and strategists and how everything is kind of shifting around and, and, and really the, the process of change that we're still all undergoing as the way that we communicate with people has changed so much. And there's just so many different ways to reach out and kind of make that connection for a brand or for our, our, our own brands. Um, so a lot of it was kind of tied to that a little bit too, is like how, how agency culture is shifting. Yeah, that's so true. You know, and it's, it's funny, Josh, it's, it's the agency culture that you talk about now. And also, um, I love when you were talking about how do we approach the problem? If we approach the problem, as you've just said, you know, with Sean, think about shifting the world of content from, from ads. If we approach the problem, assuming the answer is some form of advertising, some form of paid media, then we're going to be flawed from the get-go. And I love the way you talked about actually approaching the problem by thinking about what's the idea look like six months from now or 12 months from now. So let's have a listen to what you said about that. And then I, I think for me, one thing that's really, really helpful is I try to take any idea or anything and, and spread it out over time. So it's like, what's it going to look like six months from now, but then also 12 months from now or 24 months from now because that changes the way you approach a creative problem. You know, it's easy to write the first dozen tweets. It's hard to write the hundredth tweet. So it's like that kind of stuff, I, I think, really helps people frame the problem up differently. That's funny, because coming back to what you are just talking about in terms of agency culture, that, does that also mean that we need to give ourselves a little bit of leeway of not everything has to be perfectly executed or encapsulated in every single execution. I mean, yeah, absolutely. And, and the, the way that people consume content now is so different than what it's ever been before. I mean, you've got, um, you know, influencers on TikTok, as an example, that have essentially built themselves a fan base that is, you know, 70 million, 100 million people. And they've kind of done it on their own. And they're now getting, you know, deals with Dunkin' Donuts and all kinds of other people but those videos are, are produced essentially really lo-fi. They're made on a phone. They're made, and people are, are flocking to that kind of really authentic content. So I, I think people are much more forgiving. And then you add on COVID, right? Where we can't be in a podcast studio talking to each other. We're in our homes. So there's another layer of authenticity that people are, are very willing to accept. And they, they love their, they love a big production when they want a big production. But on a day-to-day -day basis, they're really comfortable with, kind of more organically made, uh, honestly made, lo-fi production. This was not the intention of season two, but everything we've been talking about now, it's funny, but living in this world of change, the most overused phrase for 2020, right? But the, this element of change seems to be pervasive throughout. And it that led into, to me, that led into episode four. And I, I was interested in doing episode four, which was, what's it like client side? Because for the last three years at least, three, four years, more and more we're seeing that planners expect their next significant career change to be client-side. The growing role of strategy and strategists as a value to, to the client. So we invited my old friend Carrie Ryby, who has been agency-side forever and a day, 
integrated communications and media planning, but has recently, in the last uh, year or so, moved client side. And one of our friends and clients, Inga, Inga Greta Ebbs, who's a brand director at Fifco, and Inga has more of the quote-unquote traditional client side brand marketing background, having worked for significant brands all of her corporate life. So we got them together to, to talk about, is the grass really greener on the other side? And if so, what are they putting on it? What was your takeaway, Josh? It was a really great episode, and it's really interesting to, to see what it's like. And I, I've been on the other side. Like This is Truth Collective. It's my first agency job in a long time, so I'm very familiar with what it's like to be on the other side. Carrie said something that I really liked, which was, you know, do we always just keep doing what we're doing? Like, How do we move and change an organization from the inside? And so let's take a listen to kind of what, what she had to say. The market conditions are changing. Market conditions will always change. I mean, we, we're not always going to have a pandemic. But we're always going to have a situation where technology or human behavior is going to change. And, you know, do we just keep doing what we always do or do we modify what we need to do to keep up with that? And I think this whole pandemic has sort of taught us that we can. This is possible. And by the way, we should continue to do this. We should not go back to our comfortable ways. Um, and I think that's right. an amazing lesson um, that I think all companies should really take from what we've just been through. I think one of the things that I, I loved about what Inga said was the role of empathy, how important it is for an organization to empathize with employees and understand what they're going through, for us to understand what our consumers and the audience is going through. That was a really valuable point that I, I think is something we should always keep in mind. For me, it's a lot about empathy Empathy for employees, empathy for your consumers, empathy for your community. Because, you know, I think Carrie's example is, is, is wonderful. And I've seen it, you know, with my previous employer as the pandemic started, right? We pivoted so quickly to, yeah, we're a business and we have to sell a product. But right now we have to help. We have to help our customers. We have to help, you know, our employees figure out how to navigate working from home with kids. And yes, we'll have, you know, dogs and kids on Zoom calls, and that's perfectly normal and okay. So I think if we can, in the future, continue to think about maybe what the other side looks like and, and how the other side feels, I think that would be that would be really wonderful for me if we can carry that forward. That was a really good perspective, uh, listening back to Inga. And it's interesting, right, because I, we began this thinking about what it, why, are, why are strategists moving client-side? And what I heard from Inga was because there's a fundamental role for strategists in terms of really delivering empathy that is of growing importance to ambitious, successful clients like, like Inga. So good pick up there. So episode five, my old friend Reg Adolfo, who I bumped into over a number of Stratfests, and I really wanted to get Reg and his friend uh, Fred Garantabi, who's the chief experience officer at uh, FGX International, an Essilor company, talking about the role of technology and how does technology and an idea work in the in the ideal world, in the real world? Because I think of myself almost as a Luddite, you know, 
podcasting is the extreme of my technology. But thinking about uh, asking people like Reg, who've lived through it with his RGA experience and others, of, and 360i, and really starting to understand how does technology help deliver an idea? What about you, Josh? When you think about that conversation with Fred and Reg going through, was there a key takeaway for you? There was a couple of things that I really loved, and like kind of the idea that technology itself isn't isn't the answer. Like it's it's a tool that you use to apply to a creative solution. And I even find myself sometimes being, like I'll see something new and exciting, and I really want to try it, and I start looking for a place to put it versus the other way around, which is what am I trying to solve and, and what's the right technological tool, if any, to solve it. Sometimes it's an analog tool or whatever, but I mean, sometimes you, 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 you want to try so bad, like the new, you know, um, AR thing or voice or whatever that's like, where, where can I use that? But that, I, I thought that was a really kind of cool point. It's great because I'd love the work that Reg and uh, his team had just launched on Kroger, but he reminded us just what you're saying. Our job as strategists is problem solving. And so first, let's really make sure we understand what the problem is before we start thinking about technology as a solve. Listen to this. Rex says it's so much better. Uh, there's a lot of talk about problem solving, but people forget that problem solving is more about the problem than the solving, right? You really need to find what the problem is. What is the problem you're trying to solve for the brand? And then what problems are we trying to solve for the people uh, that the brand serves, you know, throughout their journey and throughout the CX of this brand entirely. Uh, and how can you bring that to life? And then we see that, okay, great, what tech is available uh, to make that happen? So basically, we created this uh, in partnership with uh, our client, Kroger. Uh, Kroger has a very strong commitment to sustainability. Uh, they, they put a lot of money and, and energy behind reducing food waste. And we were looking through the data and understood that 40% of the food waste actually happens at home. People throw away a lot of food. And digging deeper into that, why that happens, we, do, we understood that that happens mostly due to lack of creativity. So if you open your fridge and you have five or six things that are still there uh, and you don't know what to do with them or how to use them together or individually, you end up throwing them away because they're going to go bad. So, you know, working with these clients, they said, well, let's create a, a platform that educates people. And, and, and we started thinking about content and where to put it. But then later, again, going back to what's the problem we're trying to solve. So we created something called the ChefBot, which is a Twitter meets Lens meets AI uh, solution. Uh, and we launched this thing. It's a Twitter profile that you tweet to this profile the picture of three or four ingredients that you have in your fridge right now, and it tweets back to you a recipe, what you can do with that. And, and it solves the problem. So we just launched this thing last week, and there's already a lot of movement happening there. The technology is not perfect yet. It has never been done before. Uh, so, so of course, we keep on fixing it as we go, but the success rate has been amazing, and people are throwing less stuff away because they are really leveraging what they have left in their fridge until the last moment. I really love how Rake spoke about imagination, his desire to inspire people to imagine. And I think that's something worth, before we move on to the next episode, let's, let's listen to that. The only thing I really would inspire people to do is like, you know, imagine. I think imagination is, is what drives the creation of technology and the best use of it. You know, uh, there's going to be a lot of engineers and a lot of very smart people who are going to create the technology there. It is our responsibility as marketers and as uh, agency folks to, to push it to the next level, to all it can do. So without our ambition behind it, our push, 
uh, the tech is just tech. Another thing I really loved was how Fred really dug into how important it is for us to ask the right questions. Let's take a little listen. But nowadays, there's also a level of service that is expected with that and connectivity. And I think that's what te technology does brilliantly. That being said, um, if you go technology first down and say, okay, well, we're going to do something with, uh, you know, with bots or to do something with AI or with voice. Uh, the problem is, is you're starting, you're trying to essentially find a, uh, <laughs> a question that, that matches an answer versus the other way around. So, John, you had Julian back on this season to kind of talk about big T strategists and what that all means. Uh, it was a great episode. He's a really exciting guest. Um, kind of, kind of break that down. What is a, what is a big T strategist? What's he talking about? Yeah, for sure. And you, you know, before I jump into what is the big T, the reason why I invited Julian back amongst others, the many guests we've had is he's such a born enthusiast and a sharer. And I think that fundamentally that's what Planner Parlay is about with our podcasts or other forms. But Julian also has a great way of delivering a very simple clarity, breaking everything down. It's a science, it's an art that I think all strategists um, aspire to, myself definitely. So the big T strategist is of course thinking about, as Julian explains it, in, and he has a training program for this, which I encourage anybody to sign up for. But the big T strategist is thinking about what additional skills do you need to have, not just the ability to drill down and deliver insight. Julian's perspective is less about the functional and more about the attitudinal, the human skills you need in order to be successful. And they boil down into three skills. Diplomacy, management and selling. Have a listen to this. Yeah, to, to me, that, that almost comes through in also selling strategy. So for me, management happens within your department. When I think about selling strategy, that is about selling it to the rest of the department. And I, I talk about there's three different types of, you know, diplomacy or politics. There's upwards, downwards and sidewards. Downwards is you're managing a team and then you're managing a group and really upskilling your team there and helping them grow. Upwards diplomacy is simple. It's like, how do you, what are you doing to senior leadership to make sure you're going into their goals? And then sidewards, I think, is really key. And this is what I see a lot of small agencies too, is how are you putting the value of strategy out there? How are you packaging it up? And teaching the skills of selling strategy is kind of vital. I'm also like a big believer in the Japanese corporate culture theory of Nemawashi, all about um, hallways over boardrooms. And so that idea is that you never want to be presenting to one, uh, more than one senior client at a time or senior person at a time, whether it's in your agency or a client. Because what happens there, especially if it's two seniors who are about the same level, often um, they don't know how the other person's going to decide. And so it will naturally, when you're putting something new on the table, if you don't know how the other person's responding, the easiest thing to do is shut it down. So they'll shut that thing down where what Nemawashi teaches you is get that coalition building into that meeting so you've got another positive senior voice in the room who can help um, sway right. that decision in the right direction. So, John, you had Orlando Wood join, author of Lemon, which is a really, really great book about, and it's kind of how his, his title is Lemon, How Advertising Turns Sour and What We Can Do About It. And there was a lot of really, really great insights 
into the world that we live in, we work in every day. So kind of jump in a little bit. What what made you bring Orlando on and, and what were some of the takeaways? So full divergence now. I've been stalking uh, Orlando over the last 10 years because I love his, uh, his brain and his perspective and also, frankly, his eloquence, his ability to be able to communicate some very, very complex neuroscience, but how it relates to us, how it relates to us as strategists, as humans and in the world of communication finding a role and relevancy for our brands. So when he brought out Lemon, how advertising turns sour and what we can do about it, it fits for me the, the essence of Parley, but also what I continually look for for thirst and knowledge, which is help me appreciate a problem and also give me some thoughts and guidance to inspire solving, as we talked about earlier. A big takeaway for me was the the reality of uh, uh, that Orlando explained so well about what's been going on over the last 10 to 15 years in the world of communications. And what's been happening is we've been seeing a shift to uh, more of a left brain dominance. We spent a little time talking about the role of left brain and right brain. And I'm sure people are familiar with the simplicity of it, of the right, of the right brain being creativity and flair and openness and suggestion and metaphor and the left brain being information and reason and, and a sense of um, post-rationalizing. As I say, there's no such thing as a pre-rationalization. Orlando said it so much better, so listen to this when he talked about the issue. What I do in Lemon is I show how, not just in advertising, by the way, but in, in culture more broadly, in films and music and um, comedy output, how there's been a real shift in the last 15 years, you know, towards this this sort of left brain dominance. And that in advertising terms, you know, this means when you look at advertising films, ads, videos, um, that, that whereas, you know, 20, 30 years ago, you, you had ads that, that showed people in the real world or reacting to each other, you know, in lived time, um, characters you know and perhaps something happening that's interesting in an easily defined place you know today advertising uh, doesn't tend to do that and instead it is a series of short short sharp cuts all you know edited very quickly together that there is a sense of abstraction and so picking up from Orlando there it really led into identifying the real problem is a simple but a complex one. The real problem is that advertising, and Orlando thinks about all forms of brand communication as advertising. So don't think this is purely about a 30 second spot. But we've lost our emotion. We've started to become too rational and functional of delivery a message, which will have a short term spike perhaps in terms of, of information leading to a near term action, but will not have a significant business impact over time. And fundamentally, that's what brands are here to do, to provide a point of distinction and enhance ad business value over time. So Orlando talked a lot about the role of emotion. But what I loved was actually he started to then start to think about if you look at and he has done the thousands and thousands of the most creative work that had the biggest business impact. And that's a long way of, of saying the most award worthy work. Creativity and distinction, it's remarkable, it stands out, but it also delivered a business impact. It really comes down to three things. Character, incident and place. And here's how Orlando explained those. 
in recent work I've I've just done actually I've looked at the the features of advertising that both hold attention and this is not just on TV but online as well uh, and and elicit an emotional response and there are you know a, a number of things that you know it's it seems to me quite clear that that we need to be doing if we're trying to hold attention and elicit an emotional response and and the three things that the character incident and place uh, one of the things john orlando said was uh, advertising's become less and less unique less and less different and part of that i wonder and i'd, I'd love your thoughts on it, is that is part of that because we're exposed to so much more and we're making so much more i mean you think about years ago right where ads were coming out on tv or in newspapers you might see the same ad run for months at a time you would be exposed to it so much less like you would take in so much less than we take in today where we're seeing social ads we're seeing ads just about on every channel from your phone to your computer to you know streaming services the radio to spotify like we're, in, we're we see so much of it that has that made it harder to emotionally connect with advertising and make emotional advertising Oh, great question. You know, we touched upon it a little bit with um, with Orlando, and I do think there's some key points he made that I, I, I agree with. With there is definitely a volume, as you've just said, that can inhibit the the scale and spectrum, the amount of feeling that we can imbue. Particularly when you think about some of the functional delivery points we have now, in terms of the the three second spot, let alone the thirty second spot. Or the role of digital and the, the wave, the tsunami of programmatic, for example. But fundamentally, I do think it comes down to, as Orlando talked about, a human shift. By that, I mean, we and our clients are being measured on near-term metrics more and more. And building an emotional connection between brand and consumer, an emotional connection that will lead to long-term value and business growth, takes time. So advertising is becoming less emotional, basically, less less likely to be noticed, less likely to be remembered. Emotion helps to orientate our attention, after all. So that uh, is a real problem. And, uh, you know, so the book tries to unpack why that might be and then also gives some uh, pointers, really, um, as to how to how to address it, how to how to make work that that we will know will know when we see it and, and we'll remember it we touched a little bit upon the great work of Bennett and Phil talking about the role of brand and activation as they see it activation being near-term immediate business impact and result that you want to see and Bennett and Phil have proven time and time again that whilst that absolutely has a role and should do in near-term impact for result it will not build and lead to long-term business growth so our job as strategists, as Orlando talked about, is to imbue our brand communication and storytelling with a sense of, of, of emotion and distinction. It feels different, as well as actually think about how do we deliver on that in the volume as you talked about for the near term. So I encourage everybody, of course, have a listen to all the pods, but there's so much more that Orlando can uh, unpick by his book, Follow Him. And uh, I'm definitely going to be looking for Orlando to come back in season three to share a little bit more because we can always learn more. Yeah, it was a great episode. And and, and I, like, I agree. I borrowed your copy of his book for what I thought would be a couple of weeks, but then we had to quarantine. So it turned out to be a couple of months and it was really great.
Well, it's interesting, right? Because Orlando picks up on the point, and I think this really matters to us as strategists, finding a relevancy. It's so easy to, for us to have a conversation about, oh, advertising should be emotional, so it can draw a connection with people and make them feel something. But he ties it all the way back through society over millennia, thinking about the fundamental shift in communication and art will go from a more uh, right-brained, creative flair using imagination and metaphor in artwork to then shifting to a more rational, functional, two-dimensional flatness. So please, I encourage everyone, buy his book. I'm not on commission, but that way I might be able to get him back for season three. So then, Josh, that leads us through to our final episode, apart from this one, of course, in season two podcasts, when... I asked um, our friend Alexis Augusta from the 4As, who is the leader of the MAPE program, as well as one of the MAPE alumni, Janine Kakamo, who is the digital strategist at Translation, to come and talk with absolute honesty and authenticity about one of the significant explosions, of course, that happened in all of our lives in 2020, where I talked about not just being woke, but being slapped around the face with the realisation that there is so much that we need to do to address equity and inclusion in our industry. And I heard loud and clear from Alexis and Janine, and of course we're familiar with a lot of the discussions we had throughout the pod season. The role of strategists is to be able to provide an empathy, as you talked about earlier, Josh, not just client side, but also within our agency worlds, no matter what we do. Empathy means a cognitive understanding of the world that our brands live in and the people we're trying to connect to. And we don't have enough equity and inclusion in our industry. We're woefully underrepresented across diversity of, of race, ethnicity, gender. So we asked Alexis and Janine to come and share a little bit about what they um, do from the four A's and how it translates into agency world. So have a listen to this clip from Janine where she expresses her opinion, having gone through the Maple Alumni Programme and now working in a great shop like Translation, about the role of authenticity and what we can do about it. There are a lot of things that naturally strategists do. Um, I think empathy for me has always been a big part of my personality, but I, I do think it a strength in my role as a strategist. So being able to empathize uh, and and be keen to understand, so that curiosity piece, um, which I also think is another pivotal tenet of being a good strategist. So using those things to your advantage, the same way that you would dive into a brand the same way you would dive into an industry analysis, do that for a culture. Learn to understand, not to assume, is kind of my, my leading tip. So don't yeah. think because you read all about my culture that you know it. Um, because there are things that I feel and that I carry with me that you can't understand, that you won't understand. So let others lead where they are, where their focus and their intent is, and, and be open to following sometimes. John Alexis also had some, some really great feedback, and a lot of it was about how to challenge yourself and, and ways to, to approach this topic honestly and authentically. Kind of tell us a little bit about, about that part of the conversation. Yes, Josh. You know, there's so many functional support services that the 4As can offer to all agencies that I encourage everybody to go check out. They, in fact, published a 150-page report halfway through the year on diversity and inclusion and what we can do about it. 
But you know what it boiled down to was I loved the the humanity and the the honesty that Alexis gave us when she talked about if we don't ask the questions and if we're not prepared to be uncomfortable, we will never be able to be successful. So listen to how Alexis explained it here. You're right. No one wants to offend anyone else. And, and we're being more sensitive with that regard. But also, if we're not comfortable with being uncomfortable and making those mistakes, mm-hmm. how are we ever going to learn? You know, challenge yourself. Ask your, your community, your friends, whether they're close friends or, or not close friends, whatever. Ask them to be authentic and say, hey, is there anything that I could be improving on? Like within my communication, within, you know, just whatever it could be. Be honest with me, because sometimes we don't see our own blind spots, but other people see them within us. And if you if they can call you out on it and you can be willing and ready to receive that message, then you are putting yourself and setting yourself up for success. So I think being honest, it goes back to the theme of what we were talking about today. Honesty, authenticity, be comfortable with being uncomfortable and really challenge yourself to grow. A lot of it is, is quite honestly, self-work. And I know this is a topic that means a lot to you. I mean, it means a lot to everyone. But in our own agency, John, you've been leading the charge to make sure that we're really being proactive about diversity and inclusion in, in a way that's meaningful, not just to talk about it, not just to put something on our website, but to make meaningful change. Can you talk a little bit about what it's meant to you to be able to, to dig in on this and, and what have you learned and where do you see it going? Josh, it's funny, my immediate reaction just follows up with what Alexis was talking about in that clip, which is, it's uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable for, for as a strategist and as, uh, as an agency owner, because you have to face up to the reality that we are all biased. We all have implicit bias in us. And so it's recognizing that implicit bias and owning it and being un- being comfortable with being uncomfortable. You know, that's the wrong expression. Accepting being uncomfortable. I don't want to be comfortable anymore. And I think that should be true of all of us in the agency world, particularly when I think about the role of planners. As soon as we become comfortable, we constrain ourselves to our habits. And so I'm challenging myself, our teams, our clients as well on let's face up to being uncomfortable of saying we don't know or we don't understand and find ways to understand. And a lot of that comes down to fundamental, critical role for planners, right, which is to be curious. So I encourage everybody to be really open to being curious and being a little bit exposed, accepting the fact that we all have bias in our upbringing in our lives, in our agency worlds, and find ways to become more knowledgeable, to become more equitable. Does that make sense, Josh? Yep, it does. I, I mean, and I think it's a it's a lesson here, and it's a lesson I think that 2020 has really brought forward is it, it, we can't we can't live in the world we want to live in. We have to live in the world that that, that surrounds us every day. The realities. You can't retreat to your biases. You can't retreat to the things that make you feel comfortable, we have to, as you said, like push ourselves to go out and, and be uncomfortable and then find out what's making us uncomfortable and try to make the changes that we think we need to see in the world. Um, it's become too easy, I think, with the way that communication and 
like uh, communities on the internet, things have fractured to where you can go find a, a happy place where you can just live in the world as you wish it was. That's so true. But that's not the world anymore. And I think we've been forced to confront through the pandemic and everything else that like there, there's, there's a reality that surrounds us, whether we want it or not. And we have to try to, to deal with it all and make it better. It's so true, Josh. And you know, when I think back upon cross, all of our guests are, are, are fantastic because I can learn and have learned so much from every single one of them. We just grabbed snapshots for the course of the last, you know, 40 minutes or so of this pod, look, doing a season recap. But one of the things that really struck me, you know, was picking up on what you were saying, being open and thinking about what can we do to drive change is a fundamental role of a strategist or planner, as I talk about. Building empathy, a cognitive understanding of the audiences that we need to serve. And quite frankly, as you've just said so well, okay, the world that we live in now and our brands live in. The second thing is curiosity. It's the reason why, I absolutely believe it's the reason why most planners and strategists are in this business is because they found a place where their insatiable curiosity can be applied. That's a passion. But when I think about what we need to do with that, I do believe it comes back a little bit, a lot actually, to what Julian Cole was saying all the way back when of the big T strategist is, it's not enough. It's not enough to be curious. It's not enough to deliver an understanding. We also have to be the enthusiast for that within our agencies and with our clients and within our circles. The enthusiast that share all of that, not because we're the experts, but to encourage everyone to create this sense of openness in that culture where we are going to ask ourselves more uncomfortable questions because it will make us better people when we understand that there are new answers. So that's my thought. When I look back on all of season two, the challenge that we have of this crazy world of COVID, right? And how we began all the way back when with the so prescient Richard, we're thinking about his book on restoring the soul of business and the challenges of business, which are just amplified by COVID world. As Steve Cazell talked about in terms of a Stratfest, uh, less about Stratfest itself, as you asked Josh, but also about the reality of the impact COVID world had on strategists, which was the inability or the difficulty for us to be able to focus, to really drill down. And at the same time, that drilling down is the counterpoint to that, is what we were just talking about just now with Alexis and Janine and and your thoughts about the world that we need to live in now of being more open. Pretty good season. It was, it was. So can we expect a season three, John? Fans want to know. People are listening. I love talking and listening to great people. So season three is coming. I think we'll play a little bit with the format. So any suggestions from anybody, both in terms of guests or formats, then we all want to hear about it. Absolutely. But season three will be coming, Josh, and you, my friend, will be on it. (laughs) I apologize to everyone who's listening in advance. (laughs) John, thanks so much. Thank you for all the guests, all the people that joined at the season. There's so much to learn. If you missed the episodes, they're all out there where you where you find your podcast spotify itunes google play wherever they are go track them down and and listen in and get get caught up before season three cheers josh thank you everyone for listening in planner parlay a truth collective production